0: You don't need to be a Bible scholar to know that December the 25th is not the actual date of the birthday of Jesus. But now the very probable time of the Lord's birth is being brought to light. Jesus himself said that nothing shall remain hidden. And could this include the time of his own special birthday? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The old Christmas carol, Joy to the World, may describe what the time of the Lord's birth was really all about. The biblical festival of joy called the Feast of Tabernacles. But there are many spiritual smoke screens that cloud the story. In my lifetime, the economic impact of Christmas has grown steadily, and in more recent years, the marketplace has added a strange ritual, crudely named Black Friday, when bargain hunters literally break down barriers and fight over toys and TV sets. Sadly, it's often the disadvantaged and the poor, people already over their ears in debt, even from the last Christmas. Well, God never intended for the Lord's birth to be merchandise. Truly, the birth of Jesus was joy to the world in a deeper meaning than perhaps the church has ever understood. In all likelihood, the birth of Jesus didn't take place in the winter season at all. But during the autumn, biblical festival of joy called the Feast of Tabernacles. Western Christianity has been locked into the tradition of December the 25th. In the Eastern churches, the Lord's birthday is also celebrated as part of the Feast of Epiphany on January the 6th. All year round, the Lord's birth should be of great interest to anybody who studies the fulfillment of Bible prophecies. One of the most outstanding prophecies about the birth of the Messiah is Micah 5.2 which stipulates that the Messiah must be born in the little town of Bethlehem. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little amongst the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth a ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from eternity. Another outstanding Bible prophecy is Isaiah 7.14. The sign of the virgin birth. It says, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. But it seems celebrations of the birth of Jesus have been continually surrounded by controversy. By the fourth century, the Western Church had decided upon December the 25th for Christmas not based on any religious evidence, but on a pagan festival, the birthday of the sun god, observed near the time of the winter solstice. Various theologians justified associating Jesus with the sun, because, after all, Jesus was prophesied in Malachi 4.2 as the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, arising with healing in his wings. And, of course, the Gospel describes Jesus as the light of the world. But if you think Christmas is controversial today, the holiday has already had a long history of controversy. Following the Protestant Reformation, many of the new denominations, including the Anglican and Lutheran churches, continue to celebrate Christmas. However, in 17th century England, the Puritans strongly condemned celebration of Christmas, calling it the trappings of popery. After the parliamentary victory over Charles I during the English Civil War, the Puritan rulers banned Christmas. Pro-Christmas rioting broke out in several cities, and for weeks Canterbury was controlled by rioters. A book by the title The Vindication of Christmas was published in 1652 in London and it made arguments against the Puritans. The book made note of old English Christmas traditions such as carol singing. The restoration of King Charles II in 1660 ended the Puritan ban on Christmas, but in Scotland, many Calvinist clergymen still disapproved of Christmas celebrations, and the Presbyterian Church of Scotland discouraged the observance of Christmas. According to Wikipedia, it was not until 1958 that Christmas became a public holiday again in Scotland. During revolutionary France, Christmas church services were banned, and this sounds like the politically correct atmosphere of today. Popular cakes that were called the Three Kings Cakes, named after the wise men, were renamed as equality cakes. In the past century, in the former Soviet Union, Christmas celebrations were prohibited under the doctrine of state atheism. Well, in 19th century England, Charles Dickens's story, A Christmas Carol, greatly helped to popularize the mid-Victorian revival of the Christmas festivities, and recently a movie has been made about it called The Man who invented Christmas, explaining how Dickens wrote his classic story in just six weeks. In our day, pundits speak of the war on Christmas due to political correctness and multicultural sensitivities. While Christmas decorations are still prominently showcased in many countries, they are increasingly referred to as holiday trees, holiday lights, and so forth, while scenes of the Nativity have been banned in many public displays. Many Christians resist what they believe is a war on Christmas because they want to make use of the holiday to teach their children about the Lord's birth, and they view political correctness as an infringement upon religious freedom. Well, now, if all the fuss is over a wrong date in the first place, are there any clues in the Bible to tell us when the Lord's birth actually occurred? Daniel 2:28 says, "There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets." And we also have Proverbs 25:2, which declares, "It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter." So let's search out why many Bible scholars believe that Jesus was born in the autumn during the Feast of Tabernacles. However, I also want to make a disclaimer against being dogmatic. I agree with many other Bible teachers that we can celebrate the Lord's coming into this world at any time, including December, if he was indeed born during the Feast of Tabernacles. That means it's most likely that Jesus, the light of the world, was conceived nine months earlier in December during the Festival of Lights, the Jewish holiday also known as Hanukkah. So to celebrate the Lord's conception, the doctrine of the Incarnation, at the time the world calls Christmas is indeed no small matter. Richard Honoroff, one of my Messianic friends in Jerusalem, has written many books concerning end-time prophecies and Richard maintains that the Lord's birthday was nine months after Hanukkah. He believes Jesus was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and that Jesus, Yeshua, was circumcised eight days later on Sivchat Torah, the day when the annual reading of the Torah cycle begins all over again. For decades since the advent of the Messianic Jewish movement, I've heard various other Bible teachers explain that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. But, if Yeshua was born during tabernacles, as many Bible scholars now believe, why was the Lord's birthday kept a secret? And why wasn't it recorded in the Gospels? Well, Richard Onoroff reminds us that the pregnancy of Jesus' mother, Mary, was kept a secret to protect her and their families from gossip and slander. Richard explains it's likely that although they were betrothed, Mary and Joseph never had a traditional wedding ceremony, for that would have meant sexual intimacy. Matthew 1.18 gives us the explicit detail that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until after she had given birth to her son Jesus. While there are many clues in the Bible text that may be revealing to us that Jesus was born, during the busy pilgrimage festival of tabernacles, called in Hebrew, Sukkot. One tabernacle in Hebrew is a sukkah. Sukkot is plural, meaning tabernacles or booths. Sukkah was always used to describe a shed type of dwelling, especially during the Feast of Sukkot, when families dwell in these simple, flimsy buildings. Sukkot is a reminder of the time that the Israelites dwelt in temporary structures in the wilderness after coming out of Egyptian slavery. The flimsy dwellings are a physical reminder that God himself is their true shelter. Sometimes the gospel writers may not have stated the obvious because it may have seemed obvious to them in their cultural context that Jesus was born during Sukkot but not so obvious to us nearly 2,000 years later. The word tabernacle itself is a big clue. In John 1.14, the Gospel writer chose to express the entry of the Lord into this world like this, The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. John could have said that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but he used the expression tabernacled amongst us. It's interesting that in Genesis 33, 17, the patriarch Jacob referred to his cattle stalls as Sukkot, which is the correct Hebrew term for that makeshift structure. So if baby Jesus was born on Sukkot, then he would have fulfilled God's Torah law at birth by sleeping in a sukkah, a stable. And in God's providence, it happened just that way because there was no room in the inn for the Holy Family. Instead, a stable, a sukkah, would have been the first dwelling place of baby Yeshua. But if we're to believe that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, which always falls on the Hebrew calendar in September or October, don't we need some harder evidence? Many Bible scholars believe God has given the evidence because no detail is recorded in the Bible by accident. In fact, it's believed that the timeline of the Lord's conception and birth can be calculated from information supplied in Luke chapter 2. Luke, the physician who no doubt interviewed the Virgin Mary concerning the Lord's birth, Dr. Luke, records pertinent facts concerning the pregnancies of both Mary and her cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the wife of Zechariah, a temple priest. They were childless and very old. But the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah while he was serving in the holy temple. And he announced that he and Elizabeth would give birth to John the Baptist, who would be the herald of the Messiah. The New Testament informs us that Zechariah served as priest in the order of Abijah, which is the eighth of 24 orders of the Aaronic priesthood. The information about the temple orders is supplied in the Hebrew Scriptures in 1 Chronicles 24. So this means that Zechariah's son would be conceived after his order's temple service, And therefore, he would be born at the time of Passover. And from long Jewish tradition, Elijah was expected to come at Passover. In Luke 1.17, the angel Gabriel prophesied to Zechariah that his son would be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And in Matthew 11.14, Jesus himself also testified that if you're willing to accept it, John himself is the fulfillment of Elijah as the messenger who was to come to herald the kingdom. Next, we're told in the Gospel of Luke that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to announce to the Virgin Mary that she would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And she would conceive Jesus, and that the Holy One to be born would be called the Son of God. In Luke one hundred thirty two, Gabriel also prophesied to Mary, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Much of that prophecy will be fulfilled, by the way, at the Lord's second coming. Gabriel also encouraged Mary's faith by telling her the miraculous news that her elderly cousin Elizabeth was, in fact, six months pregnant. So Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to see Elizabeth's pregnancy for herself. And the visit confirmed to Mary that the child recently conceived in her own womb was a great miracle. If John the Baptist was born at Passover, then Mary's visit to Elizabeth when Elizabeth was six months pregnant would have been in December. That means December would have been the time of the Lord's supernatural conception. Then, if you add nine months, the normal time of gestation of a pregnancy, if you add nine months from December, Jesus would have been born in September, the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Another clue that Jesus was born during Tabernacles is that the Gospel of Luke informs us that it was still warm for shepherds to watch over their flocks in the fields at night in Bethlehem. So it wasn't wintertime. So artwork of a white Christmas and the popular song, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, don't match the biblical account. But one of the biggest clues is the angel's message of joy in the shepherd's field. The Christmas carol, Joy to the World, may be more prophetic than we ever knew. In Luke 2.10, the angel of the Lord announced to the shepherds good news of great joy. A Savior for all people, the Messiah of the Lord, has been born in the city of David. And this will be a sign to you you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. After finding the baby, the shepherds spread the word, and all who heard their testimony were amazed. Besides the command to dwell in booths, We need to know that one of the biggest characteristics of the Feast of Tabernacles is that it's called the Festival of Joy. Unlike Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is the most solemn holy day in Israel, Tabernacles is specifically the time to rejoice. The people are commanded to rejoice before the Lord for seven days. Sadness and sorrow must flee away. Therefore, the biggest clue that Jesus was born during Sukkot is the message of the angel to the shepherds. In Luke 2, the angel said, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. Today there's born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. So I want to underline the angel's announcement, good news of great joy, because Sukkot is the only Jewish biblical feast recorded as a time of great joy. In fact Sukkot is described by Israelis as the season of our joy. We must never forget that Tabernacles is the Feast of Rejoicing. You see God has a cycle of festivals and he tends to do what Richard Onoroff calls God things, miracles on God days. For sure we know Jesus died for the sins of the world strategically and precisely at the festival of Passover. Fulfilling many Bible prophecies. So was the Son of God born on just any day? Or was his miraculous birth time to occur during one of the Lord's festivals? That's why Luke 2.10 is such a big clue. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Sukkot is the festival of joy. It's the primary feast where God's people are commanded to rejoice. We find that in Leviticus 23:40. It says, You shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Well, for many years during the Feast of Tabernacles, Christians have already been celebrating in Jerusalem as a prophetic act. Christians from the nations come up each year to celebrate with Israel the Feast of Tabernacles. In our ministry, we hold what's called the movable Feast of Tabernacles as we celebrate throughout the city of the great king and worship the Lord in the streets and in decorated temporary shelters. Sukkot, shelters of great joy, praise and worship and teaching. Surely the Son of God came to earth in the fullness of time for God's purposes. Being born in a Sukkah would speak of the Lord's humble birth and dying on the cross at Passover speaks of his sacrificial death. It's interesting that during the Feast of Tabernacles, 70 bulls were offered in Jerusalem. They were sacrificed in intercession for the 70 known nations of the earth at that time. If Jesus was born at that time, he entered the world as God's offering for all the nations. And in the future, when Jesus returns and reigns in Jerusalem on Sukkot, the... Feast of Gathering, all the nations will celebrate the greatest of all gifts, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The nations will worship the King and celebrate Yeshua's gift of eternal life. You see, we can't preach enough that Jesus is coming again, and he will set up his kingdom on earth in Jerusalem, and he'll be worshipped on location during Sukkot for a thousand years when the nations are commanded to come up to the capital city. You see, Zechariah 14, 16 declares, And it shall come to pass that everyone who was left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This verse makes me think of a related verse from the back of this book. In Revelation, that God is going to dwell with men. Revelation 21, 3 declares, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Emmanuel You see, for a thousand years, Jesus will dwell with mankind. He'll rule the nations from Jerusalem and from the throne of his ancestral father, David, just as Gabriel had prophesied and promised to Mary. And the nations will be required to come up to Jerusalem annually to worship the king. Zechariah 14 also warns, and it shall come to pass that whichever of the families of the earth will not come up to worship in Jerusalem, The Lord of hosts will command on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. This drought shall be the punishment of all the nations that don't come up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. During that time, God will pour out his Spirit upon all flesh, just as Jesus had announced about the living waters almost 2,000 years ago on the last day, that great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's look at John 7, verses 37 to 39, to see what the Lord said. On the last day, that great feast, Jesus, Yeshua, stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke concerning the Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was announced on Sukkot by Jesus. It was fulfilled in measure during Pentecost, and it will have a larger fulfillment during the Feast of Tabernacles during the millennium as the nations celebrate the Messiah. Now, having mentioned a lot of biblical clues about the Feast of Tabernacles being possibly the birth time of our Lord, It's still important not to be dogmatic about Jesus' birthday. Believers in the Lord must maintain unity on essential doctrines, such as the virgin birth and the Lord's resurrection, while allowing liberty of viewpoint on matters that are not essential to salvation. You see, it's wrong to condemn believers for enjoying and, and celebrating the birth of Jesus in December, this is because in Colossians 2:16 such arguments were put to rest by the apostle Paul. Paul wrote, "Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival." What we must simply believe is that the Savior was born, died for our sins, and he was raised from the dead. We've all sinned and deserve God's judgment. But God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to satisfy God's judgment against sin for all and anybody who will believe in and trust the Savior for salvation. Although Jesus lived a sinless life, he loves us so much that he was willing to die in our place, taking the punishment that we all deserve. Then he was buried but he rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. And if you truly believe and trust Jesus alone as your Savior, declaring Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved from eternal perdition, and you'll spend eternity with the Lord. As the Christmas carol Joy to the World proclaims, let earth receive her King and let every heart prepare Him room. Another of my favorite carols says, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there's room in my heart for Thee. I hope and pray there's room in your heart for Jesus. We wish all of our Jewish friends a happy Hanukkah as we celebrate the coming of the light of the world. And we wish you a very politically incorrect, joyful Christmas. Meanwhile, I invite you to stay in touch through the social media And also at our website, exploits.tv, where you can subscribe to our free electronic magazine exploits and receive our weekly email updates. Also at our website, all of our previous videos are available, as well as an archive of articles on end-time topics, faith, and healing. Please download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your favorite app store to watch our videos on your mobile phones or tablets. Our app also offers a daily Bible reading plan. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha, a blessed Christmas, and shalom.